This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hey everyone, welcome to a special supplementary episode of Black Box Down. We're between seasons at the moment. We're doing a little work, doing our research, getting ready for the next batch of episodes. But we don't like to leave you hanging. We're going to have a little bit of supplemental content. And in the past, we've done episodes where, you know, we talk about travel stories uh, or we talk about movies and aviation and movies. So we thought uh, we would revisit this aviation and movies idea, uh, talk about a few more movies and how they portray aviation. And as usual, it's uh, Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. And we have a guest. We have a guest. Yeah, we have something a little a little special uh, this episode. We have uh, uh, one of our friends, Barbara, joining us today. Hello, Barbara. Hello. I'm a little special. <laughs> you are. <laughs> special uh, in your hearts. Yes. We work with Barbara on many projects. We're, uh, we know we're all part of Rooster Teeth, specifically Squad Team Force. And uh, we do a podcast with Barbara as well uh, called Tales from the Stinky Dragon. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. You don't need to know anything about D&D. Uh, it's a little different than this podcast, but... I think it's pretty good. I like it a lot. A little lot. different. <laughs> There's no planes in it. Oh, wait, there is a plane in it. There is. Well, well sorry, yeah. people are turning into planes somehow <laughs> instead of us finding them. Uh, yeah, you'll have to, you should, go, you, should, you should go check it out. We have a lot of fun doing that episode or doing that, uh, that show. Yeah, it's really fun. And it's, it's very like um, just silly. And if, if you just like uh, storytelling and comedy and friends having fun, then yeah. uh, you'll. Again, you don't need to know anything about D&D. Yeah. I could confirm that because I did not know anything about D and D going into it, and I'm yeah, learning a lot. It's yeah. just about like storytelling and you know making jokes, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So going back to Black Box Down, you know, we each brought a movie you want to talk about this episode. Uh, does anyone want to go first? Anyone want me to go well, first? What What are y'all feeling? I have the I think the shortest clip, so I can go first. Okay. What What um, did you What What movie are you talking about, Chris? Well, this is inspired by uh, the recent episode we did about the Vietnam operation with the uh, orphans, the episode we just did. Are you doing Oliver Twist? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, operation Dumbo Drop, which if you aren't familiar, is a 1995 Disney film where uh, some <laughs> U.S. military needs to find and transport an elephant across Vietnam in order for like goodwill with uh, like local uh, Vietnamese who are important, you know, important for um, the, the military operations. How, how wild is it that Disney was like, hey, let's make a kid's family movie about the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah that was a little weird to me. And also it's- not to be confused with the movie Dumbo released in 1941. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a different Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd watched it as a kid. Not like a ton, but it was one of those things, you know, parents put on a v, uh, VHS at some point, gets to be quiet. Uh, but uh, it, it has, so I went back and went through it. There are two plane scenes in it. I wanted to bring that up with you, Chris, if yeah. you don't mind me interjecting. Mm-hmm. Why did they call this movie Operation Dumbo Drop when the, the elephant spends more time on a boat in this movie? I know. It's. Re- I think it's just the premise was based on off of an actual operation and no, based get, on a true no, story and, no yes and i how i'll t- i'll go i'll talk about it so in the movie they fight get the elephants and they're trying to figure out how to get them to this like you know remote region of vietnam and initially they're like we'll fly them so this this scene happens around 34 minutes in it they have this elephant and the one guy is like yeah i got some uh like buffalo trank tranquilizers 
like off eBay or something. I don't. It wasn't eBay because it was eBay. <laughs> and then this is a dis a kids movie in Disney. They have a scene where they're ta- they're they're uh, putting the laxatives up the elephant's butt. Uh-huh. Um, oh, sed- sedatives. Sorry. Yeah, not laxatives. <laughs> that would be a completely different movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> sorry. That'd be the worst thing to put, to give an elephant before putting it on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> did I say laxatives? You, you said the you whole said time. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just so, that last time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the guys like kind of guesses like I don't know maybe one. So they give him one of the t- one of the sedatives, and then just get get put the elephant on the plane and he like goes to sleep and then they're like all right let's go like that that's kind of that was their process. Mm-hmm. Very very uh, medical. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they, they in the movie they have like Ray Liotta does it right. Yeah. It's like a whole thing. They like they have this giant pill in their hands and they're like, "How are we going to make the elephant swallow this?" And they're like, "Good news, he's not going to swallow it." <laughs> and you're the man for the job, buddy. Yep. Yeah. So then they yeah the elephant gets on the plane and the pilot's like, "He's not going to wake up or anything, right?" And they're like, "No." And then, well, because they had a second one that they were going to use. Yeah, on him. they were saving the second one to, I guess, give them halfway through the flight. I don't know. But the elephant starts waking up and starts going crazy, and the plane is like shaking back and forth. And uh, the pilot, you know, and every, the, peop- the other military people who aren't in charge of the elephants are going to shoot the elephant or drop it immediately, just, just shoot, <laughs> drop it uh, out of the back. But then they like stop them and they land the plane. And then they're like, well, now we got to try and they, then they try and get the elephant on a boat. They spend a lot of time on a boat. <laughs> well, I, I do want to mention, uh, we have talked numerous episodes about weight distribution in a plane mm-hmm. and center of gravity limits. So, yeah, you know, uh, uh, a multi-thousand, a, a couple of ton elephant moving around in a plane and changing the weight limits would be a huge problem. Well, I have a question. Would that the size of that plane that was carrying the elephant even be able to take off with an elephant inside because I don't know what the weight limit is or what is possible. It would, I think. Because it was a pretty small plane. Well, I think it would because the real elephants in real life were, they used a similar plane. In real life, they used uh, a C-130. Okay. And then the one I in uh, Dumbo Drop, I believe, is a C-123. Now, I Look, don't know. Chris did his homework. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of impressed. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure the differences between the two. I think is the is the thirty bigger? Yeah, the most obvious difference if you were looking at these planes is the C one thirty has four propellers mm-hmm. uh, and the C one twenty three only has two. And I noticed in the credits for this movie, they actually miscredit this plane as being a C one thirty. Oh. Uh better call them up. <laughs> yep. It's actually a C one twenty three. So I anticipated this question, Barbara. So I looked it up. And an elephant can weigh anywhere from five to 14,000 pounds. This okay. specific Jeez. elephant was uh, an Asian elephant. Uh, Asian elephants and African elephants are kind of different. You can tell, the easiest way to tell is based on the ears. And Asian elephants are a bit smaller than African elephants. So we could say it's on the, it's going to be on the lower side most likely. So we can estimate, I don't know, 8,000 pounds maybe. So I started thinking, what other things do planes drop? Like planes like this drop. And I thought about Humvees. You know, I've seen the military drop giant Humvees out of a plane and a hum- one Humvee can weigh 6,000 pounds. So this elephant would not be that much heavier than a Humvee that might get dropped out of a plane. All right. Fair enough. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. The whole time I was watching that happen, I was just like, that plane would not be able to take off. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. What's going on? So yeah, they, they get on, finish the kind of summary of the movie. They get on the, the, uh, the boat, the boat doesn't work out. They get transport bunches of, you know, wacky scenarios happen. And then they end up, uh, at a base and they, they're like, we need to, you know, take it the rest of the way to the village. And then, you know, the military's like, we don't need to transport elephants anymore. It's not, you know, not important. So then they do a, a little heist, a, a elephant heist to like secretly steal a plane and drop it off at the village. I got to say, there's no better visual than an elephant in a little container falling out of a plane. <laughs> Just like, and just yeah. like wagging its little uh, trunk around. <laughs> like, it seems so chill. I know. Yeah, it was super. I mean, I assume they gave it, uh, uh, not laxatives, uh, sedatives. <laughs> sedatives. Uh, for the second flight, they had that other pill, I guess. But yeah, so what ended up happening is they, they took a took the plane and they airdropped it. They built a little like, the elephant actually helped them build it too. I don't know if y'all saw that. The hel- elephant was helping them build a little cargo, a uh, little palette that it was standing that it's in. comfortable it's comfortable yeah. with it yeah um and then but then there was an issue like the the cord broke because they got shot at and then so the elephant just felt like was free falling and so ray Liotta had to like jump out of the plane and and catch up to the elephant and pull its uh its parachute yeah yeah um it's very you know like very by the way did it bother anyone else that danny glover jumped out of the plane just holding on to a kid oh my I, god yes yeah i was like they didn't even strap that kid in. It was like Danny Glover sees Ray Liotta. It's like, oh, well, it's our time to jump and just like <laughs> hugs a kid and jumps out of the place. Like they did not give him a parachute or strap him in together or anything. I well, know. They, he was a go- precaution. He, initially, yeah. he wasn't going to um, to go at all because it wasn't safe. But then they were being shot at. So then he was like, all right, kid, Change we're getting out of here and just jumped out. But I was like, man, he didn't. Like what he jumped out when he pulled the the parachute. That's a lot of like right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like I I went skydiving one time, and when mm-hmm. the parachute gets released, it like jolts you super hard upwards, and you would have had to be holding onto that kid real tight. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, at, at that point, there's nothing you could do because now you catch up to him. You already pulled the chute. That's another yeah. thing too that always amuses me. Whenever there's like something that falls out of a plane, and then one guy jumps out to try to catch up to it, and so uh, Ray Liotta trying to catch up to the elephant to pull it, <laughs> shoot, and I'm like, he jumped out like probably a good two minutes after this elephant falls yeah. out of the sky. Yeah, he like takes his time. He doesn't like immediately <laughs> jump out. He like it's puts like, his helmet hmm. on and straps it. He has like a <laughs> cup of coffee. He reads the newspaper, and then he bullets down. Yep. He does, he does, he jumps out, he pulls the elephant chute, then he pulls his chute, and they're like, they're landing safe, and then the kid just hits the ground because, <laughs> because he wasn't strapped in, and he, and uh, they weren't able to, like, hold on to him. <laughs> um, it's also a weird scene in the movie where, like, there's the, the other soldiers at the gun, like, targeting the elephant, and the soldier at the gun's like, your order, sir? And the other, the, I guess this commanding officer's like, I didn't join the military to shoot elephants. <laughs> it's like, <"Whoa." laughs> <laughs> one guy uh, one other guy goes i did and then just <laughs> <laughs> the movie takes a dark turn yeah, yeah. um but so they, yeah they get the elephants to the to the uh, village but this is actually based off an actual mission in vietnam so the u.s was buying and transporting lumber to this remote region of vietnam and it was like really expensive and there was trees everywhere so they decided to 
build a sawmill and then uh, just do it locally. Mm-hmm. Problem was, is once they cut down the uh, trees, the area was so underdeveloped that they had a, no way to transport the logs to and from where they needed them. And they, they tried using trucks and like, you know, Humvees and things like that, but they, ca- they couldn't get through. It's jungle, you know. And since they didn't have like roads, uh, they like, well, we should use elephants. And so they decide, they found and purchased two elephants for this sawmill, but the elephants were like 400 miles away. So then they had this task of trying to get the elephants to the sawmill and they couldn't walk them. And they tried putting them on barges, but the elephants got seasick. So there's some like, that's happened in the movie. The elephant got seasick. What what does it look like when an elephant gets seasick? It looked pretty gross in the movie. Yeah. Well, I think one of the... I know that's not the purpose of this podcast at all, but I do wonder like if that actually happens in real life, if elephants could get seasick. I mean, they do, because apparently that was part of the problem. Oh, wow. Um, There was a line from one of the soldiers... One of the guys, they're like, oh, I've seen a lot of things in this war. And that's the worst I've seen. I was like, really? The elephant throwing yeah. up is the worst you've seen? Like, I don't know. Maybe like friends being killed. It's a Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah. People don't die in Disney movies. Um, no. Except for Scar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, they in real life, they decided to fly them to this area. Their initial plan was they were going to airdrop it from the planes using parachutes like the movie, but then uh, British SPCA, which is like an animal welfare, animal welfare, animal wel- welfare charity. There you, there go. you go. Got it. <laughs> Their time's uh, a track. <laughs> sedatives. Uh, it got wind. And, laxatives. Yeah, laxatives. <laughs> uh, and so they decided to like, they flew them on a, a, the uh, C-130 300 miles and then to the nearest airfield landed and then wrapped them in cargo nets and wooden pallets and then uh, flew them the rest of the way on helicopters about 65 miles. Man, hmm. you did a lot of research into this. Yeah, well, it's so it's the movie's based roughly on real things, which which I was surprised to find too because whenever I remember as a kid, it's like, this is stupid. Even as a kid, I was like, there's no way they would like, a whole operation would be like, why are they, why would they fly and drop elephants using a parachute but they do it with cars and fast furious what six so i, mean, <laughs> I don't know military does interesting oh, that's the things. movie i should have picked for, <laughs> for my coverage so, we haven't done so, that yet no so i've been trying to look this up because uh-huh. i didn't believe you chris it, it, it he's right it was called operation <laughs> bar room that's yeah. crazy uh and i guess they say that it didn't get a lot of coverage because the same day that they did this, uh, like a high-ranking uh, officer in Vietnam got killed, and it was the same day that Martin Luther King was assassinated in the United States. Mm-hmm. Wow! So like all this other news was happening, so this got kind of buried. And an interesting bit of trivia about Operation Barroom that I'm reading here is, you know, they did have to sedate the elephant, and the, I guess whatever chemical they used to tranquilize the elephant gives elephants gas oh so <laughs> the only person who who thought ahead about this was the vet who administered the tranquilizer so he brought a gas mask because he knew the elephant <laughs> was going to be farting on the plane wow. and no one else did and they all had to like sit Dude. in this plane that was filled with elephant farts oh my god that's Jesus. hilarious that was one thing i i, I uh read about the tranquilizer 
in the movie, they were like, yeah, just shove it up its butt and, you know, we'll maybe that'll be enough. Well, the guy he broke the second one. <laughs> it definitely wasn't enough. In, in an article I read, they had a tranquilizer that also required a like an antidote to wake them up. So it was like not the there wasn't the same danger of the elephant waking up and stomping, stomping, you know? Yeah. Versus like, well, I don't know, this might be enough. Wild. Yeah. So anyway, Operation Dumbo Drop. It's an okay movie, I guess, for kids. I don't know. It's, it's but, fun. It, I, I want to see someone Photoshop that. Like the Operation Dumbo Drop poster. With, it's an okay <laughs> movie for kids, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even as a kid, I was like, yeah, it was okay. It does seem a little adult for kids in some senses. Yeah, it may be like not wacky enough for kids, but too kiddish for adults. I don't know. The perfect balance. My kind of movie. Yeah. Shady Rays has the essentials you need to make summer complete. Shady Rays sunglasses offer an industry-best combination of fit, style, and performance without the big brand price tag. Doesn't stop at the quality. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection program in all of eyewear. Every pair is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they'll send you a brand new pair. So wear with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. They also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order. They've donated over 20 million meals to date. Look good in your shades and feel good by making an impact. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. So just for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use code BLACKBOXDOWN for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Again, go to shadyrays.com and use code BLACKBOXDOWN. Some of life's best moments happen around a roaring fire. And a smokeless fire pit from Solar Stove makes your outdoor moments even more memorable because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, and actually enjoy the fire. Really can't overstate how awesome that smokeless design is. Uh, you know, I think we all associate Outdoor fires with having to dodge smoke or having that smoke just constantly get in your eyes or making you cough, really not a worry with Solo Stove. That smokeless design is you know, amazing, works so well. It's absolutely super easy to start a fire as well. The whole thing's beautiful, looks really awesome. Uh, and we, you can have a fire going within just, I don't know, a minute or two. And then the cleanup is so easy. There's no charred hunks of wood, just some white ash. Just got to clean it out. So upgrade your backyard with the Solo Stove fire pit. Create story-worthy moments without the fireside fumes. The stainless steel construction is designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. There's so little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. It's the perfect catalyst for getting outside and spending more time with family and friends. You can build lasting memories around a solo stove fire pit. And they're brilliantly engineered. They're to be easy to use. They're built to last. They're easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. They're so confident you'll love it. They offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. Right now, you can get big discounts on all fire pits during Solo Stove's Labor Day sale. Use promo code BLACKBOXDOWN at solostove.com for an extra $10 off. That's solostove.com, promo code BLACKBOXDOWN for $10 off on top of their incredible Labor Day discounts. But hurry, the Labor Day sale ends September 11th. All right, well, thanks, Chris. Uh, I learned a lot today. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I did, too. I really didn't think that that was based off anything yeah. even remotely true. But no. Anyway. And that a plane could take off with an elephant inside of it. Who yeah. knew? Uh, Barbara, you want to talk about your movie? Yeah. Um, so I picked a movie <laughs> that pretty much like 99% of it takes place on a plane, which I thought would be appropriate for this podcast. Mm -hmm. It was Red Eye featuring Rachel McAdams and 
Cillian Murphy, I think is yeah. how you pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. I always forget how to pronounce it, if it's Killian or Cillian. 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 Um, I actually saw this movie in the theater when it came out. Wow. Really? I think yeah. I might have as well, or maybe like shortly after it came out. Yeah. It came out in 2005, and I, I saw it in the theater, and I have not seen it again since then, so I had to rewatch it uh, mm-hmm. for this episode. It's a short movie. Yeah, it's only like, I think, an hour and 25 minutes, hour 20? Yeah, 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 definitely, for sure. Yeah, so uh, this movie basically is about uh, this woman who is a manager of a hotel, gets on a plane, a, a red eye, which is like an overnight flight, which I'm sure you guys have maybe talked about on yep. this podcast mm-hmm. And uh, she is seated next to this gentleman who she had met in the airport prior who they were kind of flirty with each other. And it turns out that he is uh, a bad guy, real bad guy, who is trying to, I guess, assassinate this person of political power who is staying at the hotel that she manages and gets her to try to move him to a room where they are going to target him and are also in the process threatening to murder her father at the same time. And because this is the early 2000s, uh, the phones on the plane still somehow work. I don't know <laughs> how that mm. magic works. But there are a lot of things that happen in this movie that I feel are just like super unrealistic and are almost comedic, knowing what I know now about air travel. Mm-hmm. One of which is just, you can hear everyone on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially yeah. people sitting either right behind you or right in front of you. And there's like some very loud uh injuries that happen and things that are said between the two of them that i think anybody in their right mind would immediately alert some type of staff or personnel he straight up punches her and knocks her (laughs) out at some point in the middle of the flight he he headbutts her yeah yeah oh is it a headbutt (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's a headbutt yeah and there's a, a one point in the movie too where she you know somehow manages to get to the bathroom convinces him to let her use the bathroom and writes on the mirror that um, 18F has a bomb and he ends up showing up at the bathroom and seeing the message on the board or on the, on the mirror rather, and like comes into the bathroom and closes the door behind them. And there's a little girl who watches this all happen and tells the flight attendant like, Oh, there's a woman in there and a man just went in with her. And the flight attendant was like, Oh, I guess it's going to be one of those flights. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's like such a dismissive line, which I think like, I don't know if I'm incorrect in this assumption, but I'm pretty sure if you do something like that on a plane, you get like banned from the airline. They would at least start knocking on the door to try to get you out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as, as I've, I, I told Barbara this, we were talking, to, we, we talked about this the other day when I, you know, she, I knew she was doing red eye. And we've talked about this on this podcast before, how you can unlock the bathroom doors from the outside. Yeah. So yeah. At, <laughs> at, you know, even if things, even if they didn't open the door and things escalated, they would just tell them, we're going to unlock this door and open it. You know, yeah. to get them out of there. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know that was a feature, although I guess it makes sense because I think during takeoff and landing, don't the flight attendants lock the bathroom yes. doors so they can't like yes. open up? And in fact, so I sent Barbara a video showing how it typically works. You know, normally there's like a little metal sign that'll say like lavatory or something and you like lift that and there's a, a handle in there. Like a little latch. Right. On this particular kind of door that they have on this plane, you see they did like a close up where it goes from like occupied to vacant. You just like push in on that and then move it with your finger. That's connected yeah. to the lock. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, the other scene in my mind, which was the most unrealistic thing to happen, was the second they land and, you know, the the seatbelt sign goes off, which usually, as you guys know, everyone immediately stands up and goes to grab their bag. 
Mm-hmm. She is at the back of the plane and is able to run through the aisle as people are up getting their bags, like all the way to the front of the plane. And I was like, no, sir, that would not be, <laughs> that would not be doable. <laughs> people would be standing. Even when people are like, hey, if you could wait until uh, a few of our passengers in the back get through because they have a, a tight connection. Nobody, nobody listens to yeah. that. And no one she- lets people buy. No. Yeah, I, I, I will say in their defense, I looked it up. Rachel McAdams is like 5'4", on, I was what I saw online. She's smaller to where maybe she could like dart around people and squeeze through. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Like, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> there's a, I, I cannot get around <laughs> people in that aisle. It's not happening for me. I guess also she had no like, she wasn't taking a bag with her because she was trying to escape and stuff like that. Right. She also just stabbed uh, um, what's his name? Cillian. Cillian, Cillian. Murphy. Yeah, with a with a pen and like hardly anyone noticed at first. There was also no blood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he spent the, the, the rest of the movie with like a tie wrapped around his throat. <laughs> it was like a and silk it, scarf. And it looked like a cummerbund yeah. or something, it, it, but there was no blood. I will say it definitely made that villain way less intimidating. I know. The second that happened where he's like, <laughs> get you. <laughs> um, one thing that bugged me whenever they're landing they're about five feet from the ground. Like you can see out the the window. They're uh-huh. like about to touch ground, and then the the captain's like goes on the uh, intercom. It's like uh, flight crew, please be seated. We're about to, <laughs> they're and like it's like about to they, land. Yeah, they're like they would already be seated. Also, they wouldn't be doing little messages like as the moment they're touching down like that. Yeah, yeah, because everyone's already ready yeah. to go. Yeah, it's like a just a fun, silly action thriller movie. So I have. A long list of things I want to talk about from this movie, Barbara. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hit me. First of all, uh, it's a fictional airline, right? Uh, it's called Fresh Air. Fresh Air, which I thought was a very funny airline name. Actual Was it actual airline? Oh. No. Yeah. Fresh Air was actually a cargo airline uh, based out of Nigeria that was still operational when this movie came out. They uh, shut down in 2007. So there was an actual fresh air. Hmm. I totally thought that was made up for the movie. No, I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm sure they were like, they, they were like, oh, that's a funny name. I'm sure they didn't look. And it's like, oh, that is actually a cargo airline in yeah. Nigeria. Yeah. You know, they obviously do not fly a Texas to Florida flight. <laughs> the plane was supposed to be a Boeing 767. You see all the shots in the plane. It's a dual aisle. In fact, in one of the shots, you even see like the seat back car, like the evacuation procedure. And it says Boeing 767. Hmm. I think they showed like four different planes uh, for ex- from the exterior <laughs> for this movie. It was just like every time they showed the plane from the outside, it was a different plane. Uh, I mean, like it was all over the place. In fact, when you see the plane, when they're getting ready to board the plane and they're still on the ground in Texas, it's a tri-jet when they look out the window at it. What? Yeah. Uh, when a, a 767 should only have two engines. You know, when they show the plane flying, uh, sometimes it's an Airbus A320. Sometimes it's a Boeing 737. It's just huh. it was it was just always a different plane that they showed. Do you there was think no consistency. It's like movies like this where they heavily feature planes or even like scenes on planes. Do you think that they just didn't have any sort of consultant or any sort of person who was like an aviation expert to make sure there was some type of consistency? I'm sure for them it's just like whatever footage we have, just put it. Most people don't notice that, right? It's yeah. It's like. It's only people like me who are like, actually, that's the wrong kind of plane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, d- I definitely didn't notice anything watching or it. Or like stock footage, even, right. some, you know, or a stock. The, oh, we already have the model for this plane. Can we use this for the CGI? You know? Yeah, but even sometimes, like, they showed the plane, the bottom was blue. Sometimes the bottom was white. Like, even the paint, like, the colors on the plane were inconsistent. 
Anyway. Interesting. They describe this movie. Well, I, I forget how they describe the movie. It's something like terror at 30,000 feet mm-hmm. or something like that. S- something very like late 90s, early 2000s like that. Yeah. Eastbound flights, like flying from Texas to Florida, you would fly at an odd number flight level. So they would have been flying at 29,000 or 31,000. <laughs> they would only fly 30,000 feet if they're flying westbound. Also, but at one point in the movie, they do encounter turbulence and the captain says that they're cleared up to 35,000 feet to try to get around it. That is a correct altitude for them. Odd number going east. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah, it's so that it's to try to minimize the possibility of planes colliding head on. I'm just <laughs> I'm just sitting here being like, man, the other passengers are really you should be able to hear them. And you're like, <laughs> this flight at this altitude. <laughs> I have a whole podcast about this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. So one, one other thing, another thing that I thought was weird was, you know, like you said earlier, they're seated in row 18, but they're like nearly at the back of the plane. There's only like four rows behind them before yeah. the bathroom. Row 18 should be in front of the wing. They should be much further up, further forward in the plane than where they yes, actually yeah, are. If it's, if it's yeah. that big of an aircraft, yeah. Yeah. And typically, that. even if you're flying like a 737, like a, you know, a, a single aisle plane, typically they number like 20 or 21 as exit rows right over the wing. Mm. I mean, of course, that changes airline to airline. Just It just seemed weird to me. Yeah. There was a weird announcement from the flight attendant before they took off. Like normally there's lots of announcements like, you know, be seated, you know, they do the, the pre-flight briefing, all of that stuff. Uh, before they took off, the a flight attendant came on and her announcement was, ladies and gentlemen, we've been cleared for takeoff. Please enjoy your flight. I was like, yeah. That, that, that's a weird thing. <laughs> I remember hearing that and I was like, I don't think I've ever heard any announcement even remotely close to that. Right. It's just weird. Yeah. We've been cleared for takeoff. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Like the passengers don't need to know that. They're already seated with their seatbelt on. Then when they're taking off, there's footage of, there's footage from outside of a plane taking off from a runway and you only see it for like a fraction of a second. And I rewound this over and over because it was really hard to see because it, it flashes by so fast. But I think it was actually footage of a plane landing, not a plane taking off. <laughs> it, it looks like the thrust reversers are deployed. Huh. Um which would be only on takeoff, uh, only on landing, not on takeoff. But oh. I, I couldn't see it very well. It flashed by so fast. Uh, it looked like that, maybe. I also wanted to comment on the phones like you did, Barbara. It's, it's funny to see seat back phones. You never see those anymore. Like they're totally antiquated and gone. I know. And why is that? Like, is they're just like discouraged now of people using them or no, do they just they don't just- work very well? I think they were de- like decommissioned in like 2006 and then Somewhere they sold the, the frequency, like they auctioned off the frequency because, mm-hmm. you know, it was like some some weird frequency that was, and they were only doing like one or two flights, or sorry, one or two calls per flight. So it was just mm-hmm. not being used. Yeah, I remember it used to have like the credit card slider there too, where you could like pay to call, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So and I think a big nail in the coffin for those phones was uh, the the proliferation of Wi-Fi on flights. Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, with Wi-Fi. And then like Chris said, uh, that spectrum was auctioned off and uh, I think mobile phone companies purchased it. So yeah, it just wasn't really used anymore. And people had Wi-Fi. There was no there was no need for it anymore at that point. I think, I think this movie came out like a year before they were decommissioned. Yeah, 2005. Yeah, it was real close. What would they have done if they had no phones? What would he have made her do? Hey, connect to Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah, send yeah. your father a text message or send a hotel a text message. Airplane mode. Yeah, I don't have a GoGo in flight account. What am I supposed to do? I don't want to pay the eighteen dollars to use <laughs> Wi-Fi. 
Um, All right, here's my credit card. Go ahead. There was a there was one last one last minor note uh, that I had about the movie is you know we talked about Rachel McAdams goes to the bathroom and you know writes that message on the mirror. Uh, you see her like take some of the water from the faucet and like put it in her mouth and rinse her mouth out. Oh yeah. Oh, I know yeah. What you're don't say. ever don't ever do that. <laughs> not potable. Yeah, you should not drink that water that comes out of that faucet. And as a rule of thumb, personally, I do not drink coffee or hot tea on flights either just because the water tanks on planes are nearly impossible to clean you don't know what's built up in there if they're scaling or deposits of some Ooh. kind it's well, that just, just ruined uh, a whole experience for me <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i definitely order coffee on planes please barbara don't do that i'm sure okay. it's fine i'm sure there's like they they don't discourage it. Obviously, they provide it. It's just me. I don't. I I'm wary of it just because it's. Uh, you don't know what's in those tanks, and uh, they're very difficult to clean. It's an ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, also, coffee makes me poop, so I don't. I don't want to do that on a plane. <laughs> and so someone could just unlock anyway. the door that you're in from outside. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Let me tell you, I do worry about that. <laughs> like is some weirdo going to unlock the door and barge in here. I know. Well, now, especially that people know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. I should stop telling people. I know. You cannot do it. It's impossible. Stay in your seats. <laughs> <laughs> or, or we'll send Cillian Murphy to get you. Yeah. <laughs> it's an enjoyable movie, Red Eye. I just wanted to say that. Like, I'm glad that it's so short, like an hour, 25 mm -hmm. minutes. I felt like if they if they had tried to stretch it out, it would have been like, okay, now it's too much. It's silly. It's, you know, whatever. Like, they try yeah. to assassinate the political person with a missile that's fired from a fishing <laughs> yeah, boat. That, and, that was... <laughs> That still gets thing. fired, but doesn't even kill people. Like, yeah. the, like if you stop and think about it too much, you kind of the plot kind of falls apart because it's it's they're trying to assassinate this political guy, and Cillian Murphy has been, uh, I guess, following uh, Rachel McAdams for I think he said eight weeks. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, a while. Which is a very long time to stalk someone who is just. You need them to make a phone call to move a move. Right. Like surely like, in those eight weeks, you could find a different way to assassinate. Assassinate. Yeah. Like their entire plan depended upon her making a phone call to move this person to a different room in the hotel. Yeah. And I was thinking like they had some, you know, some sort of booby trap type thing, you know, like they're going to it was easier, easier to get into the room or they had a way in and out. They just they were just like from a boat shooting a um a missile. A giant yeah. Like, yeah. It, like it seems like if the like, you know, a missile, there's no there's no uh subtlety there, right? If they're gonna shoot a missile, could they just shoot a missile like at any point, anytime? Yeah. Like at the car they were driving yeah. up in? Yeah, couldn't they or just like a gun at the actual guy they wanted to kill if they knew where he was. That's, like surely yeah. they were able to track his location in some capacity. That's what I was it's like it, I, I was thinking, oh, they're going to go in there and have a way into the room to kill him and discreetly and quietly and make, you know, you know it's just get a bunch away of with guys it. No, they're just going to shoot a missile from a boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, not so, the most realistic film. One uh, one other note about this film. Uh, you know, when we did RTX, uh, which is our event here in Austin a couple months ago, I did a breakdown of the film Flight Plan, which is a Jodie Foster film that also takes place largely on a plane. Is that the one where she goes into the cargo? Yes, it okay, is. Okay, because I, I get those confused with Red Eye all the time, and I thought Red Eye was the one where she goes into the cargo. <laughs> space and i was so excited to see that and talk about that and as i was watching the re-watching the movie i was like this doesn't happen here does it <laughs> barbara i can understand the confusion because both these films came out in 2005 
Oh, the, these movies came out. They came out one month apart from each other. Uh, Red Eye came out August nineteenth, two thousand five. Flight Plan came out September twenty third, two thousand five. My wow. God, it's like uh, the twin film phenomenon that happens so often. Yeah, and so to you know to the reason I bring that up is like to the point of why didn't they do this some other way? I think thriller movies on planes were like a hot thing at that moment. It was like, oh, we got to make a movie on a plane. And it's like, okay, let's figure out everything else just to get people on a plane to make mm-hmm. something scary happen then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I picked a not scary movie at all. I picked uh, the movie I want to talk about was Catch Me If You Can. I love this movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. I had I, I don't think I've seen this since it had come out. Uh, I had to rewatch it for this. Great movie. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't exclusively deal with aviation, but... It does touch a lot of like that golden era of aviation in the early to mid 60s. And when everyone wanted to be like a flight attendant or a pilot and it was like this really glamorous, attractive job. Right. So anyway, I'll just I'm just I just have a few notes about it. Well, could you in case people haven't seen it, kind of a quick kind of overview of what what the movie is about? Sure. I feel like uh, it's one of those movies that's like so big. I I, I just totally. It's also based on a true story. Like it is. Uh, this one's much, there's no elephants in this one though. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is, which was my big issue with the movie. <laughs> no it's about, uh, uh, like, I guess kind of like a con artist who, when he's like 17 goes on this spree of impersonating people. Uh, there's a while where he pretends to be a pilot with Pan Am. Uh, he pretends to be a lawyer and actually becomes like an assistant prosecutor for the state of Louisiana. Uh, He pretends to be a doctor and has, you know, gets a job at a hospital. And the whole thing is like, it's always scams. He's always like, you know, getting these checks and washing them and passing them off uh, as real, getting money and then just like always moving on with his life. And like having like specifically very respected jobs so that when he does bring these checks in or does like whatever people, you know, see the pilot's uniform. And so he like, is automatically trustworthy in their eyes. Right. Yeah. They don't question it. It's wild to me that this was possible, that this guy got, did this for so long. I was going to ask, like, to what level of realism is it? Like, how much of the movie is actually pretty spot on from what happened in real life? From what I understand, the movie is fairly accurate, aside from the Tom Hanks FBI character. There was no, like, specific FBI agent that the main character would call or, you know, who was pursuing him. It was just a bunch of FBI agents. So they mm-hmm. kind of amalgamated several different agents into one character. And that gotcha. was the Tom Hanks character in this movie. Aside from that, a lot of it is is very accurate. And there was a lot that was very accurate about this, um, this movie from an aviation standpoint. You know, uh, when he's first trying to start learning how to act like a pilot, the main character, his name is Frank. So if you hear me say Frank, it's the main character in the movie. He's asking like, he's, he pretends he's writing like, an article for a school newspaper and goes and talks to like a Pan Am representative about planes. And, you know, the planes that they list off are all, you know, era correct. You know, he says that Pan Am flies the DC-8, the 707, the Constellation, which were all, you know, planes that they did fly at the time. And he, you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's a very good forger. That's his thing. You know, he's forging these checks. He forges credentials to try to, you know, gain access. And he asks if he can take a picture of a pilot license for his uh, yeah. <laughs> for his uh, report. And uh, the person he's talking to gives him his license. It says, oh, you can have this license. This one's three years expired. In reality, pilot licenses have no expiration date. Uh, they're valid oh, for life. Really? Yeah the, really? Thing you have, yeah. the thing you have to keep current is your medical, like your medical certificate. That you do have to renew every so often. But the pilot license itself is good for the rest of your life. So is there... 
that brings up a, a completely separate question that I never knew the answer to. Is there an age limit on pilots? Like, because I imagine at some point you're too old to fly. Although, although if like you're getting medically assessed, I'm sure that'll do the trick. That's an excellent question. That's actually something that's being looked at currently in the United States. I can't speak to the rest of the world, so I'll speak to the United States. So what you think of as a pilot who flies for like an airline, uh, we refer to those as ATP pilots, airline transport pilots. You are forced to retire at age 65. Gotcha. You can no longer be an ATP past 65. Because there's supposedly a pilot shortage right now, the FAA and legislators are looking at potentially increasing that age to 67. But as it stands right now, uh, you can no longer be an ATP past 65. And is there a minimum age? I don't know that off the top of my head. That being said, there is a minimum age in order to be able to fly solo uh, in an airplane. Like and get your you know private pilot license, and I believe that is 17 years old. So you would be uh, that would be almost like a starting point where you can solo fly as a private pilot at 17, and then if you wanted to become an airline pilot, it takes several years to build the experience and get the certifications. So I mean, realistically, you might see an airline pilot as young as if they hurry, maybe 21, but realistically, they're probably still building hours at that point. Um, Most, most ATP start their career. If I had to guess around 25, maybe at the earliest. That seems reasonable. Yeah. Uh, It just, it takes a long time in order to be able to fly for an airline. You need to have 1500 flight hours, which is why it's so funny that in this movie or I guess in the story, rather he's able to, trick his way into be, becoming quote-unquote a pilot yeah uh well that, that that rule actually changed not that long ago it used to be you only needed 250 hours i was gonna say i bet it, back then the, the yeah the qualifications of flying it were a lot lower because there were less planes and less opportunity and yeah just less, True. less of a process yeah it was there was a a crash that we covered in black box down it was a colgan air flight 3407 that crashed back in February 2009, and it was that crash that caused the legislation to be changed where the minimum number of hours was raised from 250 to 1,500. Gotcha. Before that, it used to be 250. So theoretically, you could be younger. Uh, you could have been younger back then, uh, especially also it was a different time. Uh, I think they had a lot of pilots who returned from military service, like post World War II. Mm. So it was a, different, a very different landscape. That's so crazy to think about. I don't know if I'd want a 25-year-old flying me anywhere. <laughs> you've, you've, I bet you've had young yeah. pilots, especially on regional flights, like American, mm. yeah, I know you, uh, like American Eagle, United Express, like some of the regional carriers tend to have a lot of the younger pilots who are, you know, starting their careers. That's crazy. And in fact, it's funny, you, you mentioned the thing about being young because there is a scene where Frank goes to a tailor to get the pilot uniform. And uh, the tailor makes a comment that says, you look young to be a pilot. Yeah. And uh, Frank replies, oh, I'm a co-pilot. And, you know, we've talked about this before uh, in Black Box Down. Anyone who is sitting at the controls, it's like you're either a captain or a first officer, but they are both pilots. So saying I'm a co-pilot is like kind of not correct, <laughs> but that might be because he's his character doesn't actually know what he's saying. Gotcha. He's trying to act like he knows what he's saying. And it's funny because his uniform, after he gets it from the tailor, has three stripes on the shoulders and on the cuff, or I'm sorry, on the uh, sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention to those stripes that are on pilot's shoulders. Three stripes indicates first officer. Okay. Four stripes indicates captain. 
So the fact that he had three stripes is kind of like correct. He since he said he was a co-pilot, then maybe the tailor was thinking he's a first officer and gave him three stripes instead of the four. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, if you ha- if someone has two stripes, they're a second officer or maybe like a navigator. But you really don't see that very often anymore. It's typically three or four stripes that are in the cockpit. I'm going to be looking at everyone's shoulders now. In the movie, he doesn't actually fly any planes. He's always eight, right? He he always manages to weasel his way out of doing the actual job he's pretending to do. Yeah. Yes. Which is very so impressive. It, so as the pilot, he's always riding like on the plane as like, so it's a way to get free flights for him. So he'll like ride in the cockpit in the jump seat or... Uh, but he never actually touches the controls and flies a plane. Yeah. Oh, and his uniform cost him. The tailor told him the uniform cost one hundred and sixty-four dollars. Uh, and I, I ran that through an inflation calculator. That's the equivalent of one thousand five hundred sixty-seven dollars today. Wow. That's expensive. I, mean, I would, I would think so. Yeah, because it's like pretty high quality, and it's something that's like super official. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I could, uh, I could see them trying to bump that price up. Yeah, and you know, it's tailored to him, so it's expensive. But yeah, like, like you said, Barbara, I could see that being plausible. Yeah. And like we said, like I said, he's a forger. He's forging checks. So he starts off, you know, pretending to be a pilot and forging Pan Am checks. And the hotel has a limit of $300 that it'll cash for checks. So he makes his paychecks $299.12, which is the equivalent of $2,858.78 today. Wow. Damn, inflation's real. Inflation is real. (laughs) (laughs) So and, uh, there was another thing I thought was interesting. Uh, you know, when these these portions of the film where he's pretending to be a pilot for Pan Am are set in the early to mid 1960s, and and I, this is more of like a footnote, just a little bit of uh, trivia. Pan Am started using the Pan Am logo and name in 1955. So this is period correct. I have seen some people say it's not period correct because before that, Pan American Airways used to be referred to as PAA. And uh, the Pan Am logo actually did start, and that name did start in 1955. So it is period correct, despite the fact mm. I've seen some people online say it is not period correct. I just wanted to point that out. Mm. And, and there's some really cool, I think some of the old Pan Am iconography and graphics are really iconic and really cool. Like I said, golden era of aviation, this stuff's really interesting to me. And then we also see some TWA aircraft a few times. And, you know, they show the TWA logo with the, the two-stripe logo, which is also very iconic. Uh, however, that logo was not introduced until 1975, so mm. that was not period correct. Transworld Airways used a different logo at the time that we're supposed to be seeing these planes. I'm huge into the Golden Area Aviation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love uh, it. Like iconography. Yeah, so that's why I was like, oh, that's not right. After Frank gets arrested in France and he's being brought back to the United States, he's on a plane with the Tom Hanks FBI character. Mm-hmm. And they're flying over LaGuardia and Frank's sitting at you know the uh, window seat and he looks out the window and he says oh look there's LaGuardia there's runway 44 at LaGuardia there is no runway 44 ever oh. anywhere in the world do you think they did that just because they didn't want people actually trying to I don't know locate like a real location from the film well, I was thinking the only plausible explanation would be that Frank has no idea what he's talking about because he's not actually a pilot <laughs> <laughs> oh that's true but runways do have big numbers painted on them so I don't know it seems like a gaffe any legit runway would be numbered anywhere from 01 all the way to 36 because they're numbered based on compass radials, how the runway lines up with a compass. That way you know you're in the right direction on the right runway. So that's why there's only 360 degrees in a circle. There's not 440. That's why you would never have a runway 44. Gotcha. Today I learned. Yeah. And uh, again, there's a, another scene in this movie with you know the main character, Frank, is in the bathroom 
and the FBI agents are pounding on the door trying to get him out, but they can't get in there because he locked it. Again, you can just unlock these doors from the outside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, they end up having to like bust down the door looking for him. And it's like, you, they could have just unlocked the door. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and then there was a location. This is not aviation related. This is movie nerd related. Of course. I, I watch a lot of movies. I love, I love film. I recognize the location in this film that I've seen in other movies. There's a scene where Tom Hanks' character, the FBI agent, is sitting down in a diner and he's, you know, he had just encountered Frank for the first time and Frank gave him the fake name of Barry Allen and, you know, he's drinking coffee and a waiter comes by and it's like, oh, Barry Allen, that's the Flash. And anyway, <laughs> Tom Hanks' character is sitting in this, in this diner as he's, you know, being poured this coffee and going over this paperwork. That same diner has been in a bunch of other movies. I recognized it from Seven, Training Day, Ghost World, uh, like in all of those movies, there's a diner scene and they all sit in the same, either in this same booth where Tom <laughs> Hanks is or the one right next to it. I was like, this is the exact same <laughs> diner I've seen in so many other movies. It Did like, that has take such... you out of it? Like, how, what does that do to you when you see that in movies? Well, for me, I was like, this looks familiar. And I like to pause it and like, look it up. I was like, this is the exact same. Like it did take me out of it just because I didn't recognize it when I first saw this movie back, you know, in the theater, but you know, watching it, rewatching it for this episode, I was like, let me pause this and look this up. I was like, yep, that is the exact same diner. It's a, I just love that movie. It's just so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. I, I also just love any movie that's like based around uh, like scam artists or heist or anything like that. Just like seeing people pull off things. Uh, it's mm-hmm. always like really satisfying in a way. I would say out of the three movies we've talked about, this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> it's really, really a good movie. It's on uh, Netflix. That's how I watched it. If uh, if anybody, if you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. It's really, I really do good. do that movie. later tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that's all I had for uh, Catch Me If You Can. Like I said, it's not, aviation isn't the entire movie. There's just like a section where he pretends to be a pilot. And that's where the bulk of this stuff yeah. takes place. It's a good like 30 minutes of the movie though. I feel yeah, like. it's a good chunk. And also I feel like he, doesn't he come back to being a pilot like a few times throughout the movie, even at the end? Yeah. Later then he like revisits it. And there's, in fact, you talked about how, you know, it was very glamorous to be a pilot or a flight attendant at the time. That's one of the scams he runs later. Is he pretends to be recruiting flight attendants to you know work <laughs> yeah. for Pan Am. And he like surrounds himself with a bunch of fake flight attendants to sneak Beautiful past women, the FBI. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I saw people online point out that uh, I didn't want to get in like this level of detail, but I saw, because I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I saw online people were talking about how the flight attendants that he has to surround himself with are not wearing their uniforms correctly, that the hats aren't put on correctly and the uniforms aren't buttoned up right, but that that's plausible because he doesn't know either. He just has them as a distraction. Yeah. You know, that's not an actual, they're not real flight attendants. And it seems to be working for everyone else there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, great movie. Two thumbs up. Way, way up. But uh, that's about it, I think, for for this episode. I want to give a big thank you to Barbara for joining us and talking about Red Eye and all of our other films here. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, and yeah, as we mentioned at the top of the show, definitely check out our, our D&D podcast, Tales from the Sticky Dragon, wherever you get podcasts. We have a ton of fun on that show. And Gus is an amazing DM. And Chris plays a hilarious character named Gum Gum, who my character and him have a, a really fun little interaction relationship going on. Yeah. It's very. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, it's it's really really fun. Um, and I it was actually we were looking at some of the uh, reviews recently and saw some uh, reviews posted like, oh, I listened to Black Box Down and didn't know anything about D anD D and started listening to it and I and I really like it and that that's great to hear. And so thank you yeah. for people who have uh, given it a listen and because uh, that really helps you know helps uh, and we appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, see you guys next time. Yeah. 
Tales from the Stinky Dragon. Go listen. Bye. Bye. Bye.